Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. If you've been enjoying mental models, this podcast, and the types of biases and thought strategies we employ and advocate for here, um, please make sure to, uh, to acquire our book, Understanding Behavioral Bias. And bias has an, a uh, dollar sign for the S. It's available on Amazon and it's pu- published by Business Expert Press. And you could really do us a favor by uh, leaving a review if you like that book and uh, choose to buy it. Yeah, we do take a fair amount of time to put these uh, podcasts together. And uh, we want to know that it actually is meaningful and it's something that people really enjoy. And if you really do enjoy uh, the podcast, it would be very helpful to see your support through a purchase of our book. Uh, It's kind of like the, you know, the uh, PBS pledge drive, uh, so to speak. Right. And it would improve our mental model of ourselves and how we're doing to get a little bit of feedback. So we appreciate it. Also, you can uh, like our podcast as well. That would be helpful uh, to uh, help us to continue to get a broader reach uh, for the uh, knowledge that we're trying to share with everyone. Welcome back. Um, We are feeling uh, a little anxious about today's topic, which is going to be about fear. And uh, I was on an airplane recently and decided to scroll through the uh, entertainment options that were on that flight. And I came across one of these horror films and just uh, put that on for, for fun, really. And uh, it turned out to be uh, very effective. It was called Annabelle Comes Home about a living doll that is wreaking havoc in a household. And there's, it got me thinking quite a bit. Uh, it was a fun movie to watch, and it had a lot of classic elements that are kind of cliche for horror films. Uh, first of all, a living doll is terrifying because it seems to have a mind of its own, but we can know nothing about it. We don't know the mechanisms, and we don't we can't predict its behavior. They didn't make the doll move around or or talk or anything like that, which would actually make it less scary. The doll would just eerily appear in different rooms, and so it just kind of played upon you get a sense of anxiety of how did that thing get there, and then your mind would start to spin out of control. And uh, a bad horror film shows the villain too early and makes it really explicit. A really good horror film kind of puts you uh, in a suspense state and holds you there for a long time. It was also done set in the 1970s, which I think was effective because nowadays we have so much information available at all times. You know, back in the 70s or, or early 80s, a phone ringing with no one on the other end or just breathing was terrifying. Or someone ding-dong ditching your doorbell, which was also used as a plot device in this movie, is effective because there's just no cameras to, uh, you know, give you the, the backstory of what really happened. And so a lot of this just gets us into the the thinking of, of fear mode has to do with uh, too little information, the potential of threat, and, and a helplessness, no way to connect when the threat is coming. And of course, in investing, we know that the two mo- emotions that mainly drive behavior are fear and greed. And fear uh, is is particularly interesting because there the market absolutely abhors uncertainty. There's a number of reasons for this. Uh, one, when it comes to making an economic decision, if you're faced with uncertainty, the default is to do nothing, which leads to a real detraction to economic growth. 
But when it comes to investing in a particular issue, if you don't know the outcome of a particular variable and you can't look out and see its effect on the discounted future cash flows of a particular issue, then you have no means to be able to value the issue itself, which tends to lead people to sell. And then, of course, when you see people sell a particular issue, and you know, if you, if you can imagine a chemical company that has a environmental liability uh, that they get sued for, but it's not really quite clear how significant that environmental liability will be. It's sensational. You know, they put the uh, you know, if it leads, it bleeds pictures uh, on the uh, news story associated with uh, the particular problem. And people can fixate on that and they can see this image of the issue, but they can't necessarily quantify how much of a problem it's going to be. So the reflex is to sell. And of course, when you sell, that tends to have an effect on the price of the issue. And if the price of the issue falls, in light of this potential threat that is out there, unquantifiable, uncertain. We don't really know what it is. We only see the shadows. It's providing some evidence, but not enough to connect the dots and and figure out what the mechanism is. Right, but the further the fall of the price of the stock, the more confirmation it is of the severity that perhaps someone else can quantify, but you're unable to do so. And it seems to suggest that there's efficacy there to this threat, this thing that's lurking around the corner. And I think we've both talked to people who say they've made their worst investment decisions under duress and when they're when they're fearful. And um, you know, it's it goes back to if you sort of take fear back to uh, where it comes from. You know, if you think of, of people as survival organisms, you know, that we, we once lived in kind of tribal conditions where um, your fear response was needed to avoid danger and get you out of danger really quickly. And uh, what really drives us nuts is when there's a potential threat that just lingers and we can't quite predict when the, you know, when, when something's going to actually emerge. And the more mysterious it is, the more creepy it is to us. And so uh, we, we crave that uh, figuring out a mechanism and gaining information. Um, it's interesting you mentioned inaction versus deciding to sell. It's, it's not always clear. Some people are immobilized by fear and don't want to do anything. And others start to do things that are maybe rash and kind of senseless just to try to have some impact, right? They're, acting sometimes makes gives us some peace of mind that we're trying to do something in order to avoid the uh, impending doom. So a lot of people will say, okay, well, they'll approach it initially when they see some sort of an issue that's driving down the stock price of something that they're involved with. And they'll say, I'm not going to overreact. I'm going to wait and figure out, try to quantify this risk. Uh, so they don't panic immediately. They're, in, they're basically frozen, right? They're choosing not to take action in light of this threat. Uh, and then, of course, there are others that are acting immediately. You know, they, they're responding to the threat uh, by running away. Now, of course, they will have an effect on the stock price. Very few people are going to step in and say, oh, this is a buying opportunity. I'm going to buy right now. And so you start to see the stock fall, uh, and you're the person that's making the evaluation. You're being slower to act. But, of course, the fall in the stock price affects you psychologically. 
And the further it falls, the more you think that, oh, well, maybe this is a problem. It's more confirmation of uh, whatever, and whatever evidence that you're looking at, it's going to be viewed in the context of that falling stock price. And every tick lower will magnify the negative evidence and discount any sort of positive evidence that you happen to see. So I often think that if you're going to panic, panic immediately. Well, yes, and this gets back to, in neurophysiology, of course, the amygdala, which is, uh, we have an amygdala on each side of our temporal lobes, and it is a fast-acting driver of our fight-or-flight uh, response, which, again, is to get us out of harm's way fast. So that the, the actual neurophysiology behind the fear response confirms that, that exact idea. When it works well, it shoots you up with uh, adrenaline quickly and allows you to avoid danger, and then you hope it subsides. Um, the, the possibility of action is also really linked here. So there have been decades of studies in animal models of fear where uh, they would have often a, a rodent of some sort or a mouse or a rat is subjected to shocks and, and they, they hate this and they, you know, they seek to avoid it. It's very obvious what their behavior is to avoid uh, potential punishment from shocks. And uh, the more opportunities the animal has to predict when the shock is coming and potentially avoid it, the better off they do. Um, and this has been uh, a control condition is often what they call a yoked animal, which is a rat, a rat somewhere else without access to any sort of predictors and no ability to escape the shocks, but they're equating the number and intensity of shocks between both animals. The animal that does far worse is the one that doesn't have any information. It gets stressed out of its mind, gets ill, it has glucocorticoid uh, systems going through through the roof, and, and often its immune system just utterly fails. And it's simply because there's just no way to act to avoid the problem, and there's also no prediction of the problem. So that's what really drives fear and long-term stress. Yeah, it's interesting. I, an analogy that you might see for uh, the, uh, the stock market would be the person who owns a bunch of stocks they don't really understand and you're going through a financial crisis and they just don't have any ability to react short of just selling everything, right? A complete capitulation uh, as opposed to one where you have an understanding of the, of the circumstance. There are certain things that you see where you have opportunities to be able to react uh, or uh, to basically position yourself to wade out the storm. That person tends to suffer a lot less stress. Yeah, so more information is always helpful, and having having a plan in mind maybe helps you to be less uh, reactive, because reactivity just is so devastating to performance. Yeah, it certainly can be. I mean, you're much better off if you're unaware of any sort of issue at all, if you're going to be someone that would be... Uh, uh, overly stressed about something you can't do much about. Right, and there, the amygdala is another uh, neurophysiological system that, that sort of reacts very differently than other brain systems. So in this podcast, we've talked a lot about forming a mental model over time and building up expertise and kind of look at thing, looking at things in a mechanistic way. And the amygdala can short circuit all of this. It, it's super reactive to threat. Um, another interesting study that's relevant to this that comes to mind for me is uh, we have in our visual system a, uh, a set of uh, sort of pathways that build up Im image recognition or object recognition. 
And uh, in addition to those slower acting, accurate systems, we have kind of a fast, they call it the low road to the amygdala, where it's kind of the amygdala gets a, a very fast crude preview of the, of the information before it's really been properly processed. And it puts us on high alert if it looks like a snake or a, a weapon or, or something like this. And so when you have that, that sort of jumpy, fast reaction, and it turns out to be nothing but a garden hose sitting in your on your lawn, not a snake after all. Um, that's the amygdala sort of coming into effect. <laughs> it's so always it, the next recession in terms yeah, of it. It really of, just uh, messes of, with your your right. whole model because you can't ignore it. It's just a primal sort of impulse that uh, that that emerges from um, from some misperception. I, I'm reminded of this kind of ridiculous situation where. Uh, this uh, this neighbor had a Michael Myers uh, life size dummy for Halloween that they put on their porch, and every time I would walk out, I would get the a shot of amygdala. <laughs> There's a person with a knife across the street, and they say, "Oh, of course, it's the dummy." Uh, and so uh, this is just one of those curveballs that comes into the the picture from time to time when when something is. Um, potentially dramatic and potentially threatening and uncontrollable, um, that's where you, you really you just get kind of paralyzed sometimes by these fearful responses. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. Uh, when you think about recession, which is something that people are always somewhat paranoid about uh, in the markets, they're always looking for recession. And typically, uh, the best approach for that is not to worry about it because usually... Uh, there, when there is a recession, uh, or people anticipate a recession, it's not there. And the pattern seems to be that uh, certain economic data arise, people predict recession, uh, they position themselves uh, to time the market, and it turns out that there's no recession. Uh, and at the same point in time, those signals that were there, once they're discounted, the market rises pretty rapidly. That's a lot of what we saw in 2019. Um, but uh, what happens is, is you see these threats like, okay, there's possibility of recession in 2016 to possibility of recession in 2019, 2020. And you, as they're discounted, we often start to think, okay, well, this is not going to happen. And then, of course, once you fully discount all of the potential signs, then it's actually yeah, yeah. going to happen. Absolutely. Then it abs happen. absolutely kills you. And this goes back to effective movie making, right? It's like one of the tools they use is to get you on high alert and then dissipate the threat and then do it again and again. And then by the time your sort of your threat response goes down, it's like, yeah, they're, they're not going to do it. And then, then the big scene unfolds and it's a dramatic, unpredictable climax that, uh, that is just ruinous to our psychological state. Yes. So uh, fear is just something that we deal with on a constant basis in the market, it can actually be something that you can take advantage of too. I mean, if you have a notion that what you're observing is something that's generating a lot of fear, but you have knowledge, other knowledge, about the underlying circumstances of a particular business, for instance, you know, you see something that is a fantastic franchise that has powerful competitive advantages, but they're suffering from some short-term issue that creates a amount of uncertainty that could disrupt the next couple of quarters or perhaps a year, everybody on Wall Street gets paid on an annual basis. You know, there's an annual bonus. So what have you done for me lately? And what happens in the short term gets an overemphasis. That'll often create an opportunity for you to be able to, you know, walk into the fearful situation 
and take a position to buy an excellent business at a discount. But you have to be able to see through the fear. And I think we all maintain multiple potential responses throughout our um, our day. And this is often referred to as hot and cold cognition. So you have the hot cognition is like the limbic, amygdala-driven, fast-acting emotional um, response. And then lurking in the background is always our cold, rational sort of analysis, which uh, is immune to the uh, whims of the moment and should be should be playing out in the long term. So it's helpful to remember that there's always different ways to see the circumstances. And I think you see this a lot with um, people who uh, have professions where there's a lot of threat, like like police officers or um, military service members, and and you often hear them say they, they they just rely on the training under duress. You know, it's like you you resort back to just do the training, carry out your your you know the process you developed in your cold state, right? So when the the the, the limbic system is firing and and you're getting all keyed up, if you have a way of just kind of resolving, I'm, I'm just going to stick to my process, you can often have nice opportunities and outcomes here. Yeah, it's an interesting situation where your uh, genetic predisposition, your fear response is being overridden by a habit that's been created through that training. Uh, I remember, you know, in the, uh, I, I had a brief stint in the Corps of Cadets at A&M uh, while, while I was in college, and there was a uh, particular portion of that, which had a fair amount of military training associated with it. And, you know, they're often trying to get you to, you know, learn to run into, run towards somebody who's firing a gun at you, right? That's just not the typical response. But if you learn to do that through uh, conditioning, you know, they, you've been taught to follow orders and do as you're told regardless of the circumstances surrounding you and you've been conditioned to do that enough, then, you know, you can actually discard that, you know, genetic predisposition to preserve yourself uh, and move forward with instructions otherwise. It's fascinating. You can definitely learn your your responses to sort of cope with these challenges. And um, I guess that's really where we we evolved as as a society we sort of have crisis management specialists and if you have any of that training you know you're in a much different situation um, under duress than if you don't and it is um, it's definitely something we think about all the time in life and uh, just really the resolve you have to maintain your mental model um, in the face of that is it just varies depending on the person but it's important to have a plan and just stick to it um, because, uh, you know, terror will strike and make us do uh, really irrational things. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When you, when you think about it in the military context, they actually don't advocate that you think about the situation. You know, the advocate, they don't advocate you being calm and cool and thinking about it. You're just relying on your training. Yeah, yeah. You're doing it yeah. reflexively. Uh, so, because if you actually thought about it, you may find that it's also, even though uh, it's consistent with your genetic predisposition to avoid harm, that that's also a very rational thing to do. And so they you know, train you to discard that rationality uh, and proceed with how you're trained. Yeah, there's no one answer to any of this, right? You can act quickly and effectively and dissipate the threat. You can uh, actually think your way into just outright terror. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I always feel like gaining more evidence, trying to, trying to keep working on you know, what, what's the appropriate response usually has some benefit. And it's best to do it outside of the heat of the moment if you can, 
right? To be able to look at something and have an assessment. It's like, what are the markers that I need to see that would cause, like for instance, if we're talking about a particular company, uh, and say, you know, let's say for instance, God forbid that there was some sort of terrorist action that occurred at a Disney property, right? And Disney, came, the stock came under a lot of pressure as a result. You'd have to ask yourself whether that franchise is permanently impaired by yeah. whatever it is that happened. You know, are people going to be afraid to go to Disney parks going forward and that's going to, that's going to destroy Disney as a company? Or is it something that will dissipate over, over time? A really good example of this recently was Papa John's. So um, the founder of Papa John supposedly made a very racially de derogatory remark. And the, the consumption of Papa John's pizza fell off dramatically. There was a huge dip in their consumption. Uh, and six, nine months later, they've hired, the, Shaq is now a member of the board, and he has been part of a marketing campaign to restore the brand. And according to the most recent quarterly report and credit card data, it looks like Papa John's is recovering quite nicely. Um, so, you know, when you had that situation where the founder came out and made a racist remark and it really destroyed not only the stock price, uh, but the sales of Papa John's, the question was whether that brand could recover. And of course, management had found a way to be able to do that. So you could see where you'd be quite fearful that the that Papa John's is totally done. You know, it's now Papa racist, and nobody wants to have anything to do with it. And who better to step in and save the day than than Superman Shaq, yes. right? Who uses the S <laughs> Shield logo? I think has his own brand and. Um, you can always rely on the man of steel to come to uh, the rescue, right? In these in these kind of situations, in some form or another. Yeah. So so it's it's interesting, but fear the fear the uncertainty is is you know you you can look at that particular situation and ask yourself whether the business is permanently impaired by the threat that's imposed. And this is known as the salience bias as well. That um, particularly dramatic and emotional news tends to have an oversized effect uh, globally. And so if you understand the business better. At a, at a structural level, there might be some nice opportunities there. Definitely. Okay, that's enough uh, on this fear topic, and uh, let's, let's put our concerns aside and uh, turn off those limbic systems. We'll see you next time. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.